It's a, it's a busy season. It's a, if it hadn't hit you yet, man, Thanksgiving right around the corner and Christmas going to be right, uh, right beyond that. And, uh, but we're, we're glad that you're just here to kind of take a little time to, to draw close to God. Our servers are going to collect our offering right now. We just appreciate that. And uh, as they're doing that, I want to also remind you, next Sunday, of course, is our, our big Thanksgiving service. And uh, we've been talking about that a little bit, really looking forward to that day. Uh, and, and as we've mentioned, we have an offering goal. It's been a tradition for us to do that every year for, for decades. We've done that as a church. But this year, our, our goal is to raise $10,000. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, what we're doing, because I, I just think this is so important that we, we recognize the opportunities in front of us. Uh, there are going to be different ways to give. So obviously, we, we want to raise ten grand because that's going to help. We've got a lot of families in need this year and a lot of opportunities to bless our community. But we are also next Sunday going to be giving out these uh, Christmas bags. So we're partnering with two of our local schools, Lassiter Middle School and Fairdo Elementary. And they have given us, uh, they've given us not names, we don't know exactly who the, the kids are, but they've given us like an you know, eight-year-old boy, six-year-old uh, girl. And, uh, and, and we've put a list in there with uh, just some basic necessities, hats and gloves and, and a toy. And so we're going to be giving those out next Sunday for you guys to, to uh, have a chance to buy some Christmas gifts for some kids in need this year. They, uh, we're, we're doing just two schools, but they have asked us for 220 bags. There's a, just a lot of need this year. Uh, so that's one thing we're going to be doing. Another thing is we're partnering again, once again, with the United Auto Workers uh, to supply some food boxes for families in need. And they have, we love partnering with them. They are, are, have graciously offered to give us 50 food boxes this year, uh, but we are going to need 50 more boxes. We are planning to give out food boxes to 100 families this year. And so uh, next Sunday as well, there's gonna, if, you, if you say, you know, I, maybe I, I can't do the Christmas gift thing, but uh, I've got some canned food items that I could bring. We're going to have uh, some, some little note cards that will have needs that we're going to be doing kind of a food drive to supply the, the, for the food boxes, for those 50 food boxes. Also, we're going to be doing partnering with the, uh, uh, the bikes or bust. We're getting 30 bicycles that we're going to be giving out to kids. We're partnering with our local shop with a cop. And so those bikes will be going out with the police officers, with the kids, and they'll be shopping and, and doing some things here. Uh, also, every year, you know, in December, we get a lot of requests for benevolence. Uh, we have, we'll be taking some families out to do some Christmas shopping. That's one way that we can bless and, and provide for a need. We'll be taking families out to buy groceries. Uh, we always just get those needs. So just... We talk about our goal of $10,000. We try to break that down as much as we can. Basically, though, overall, the need is, or, or what the reality is, is we're going to be able to bless. We said 300. It's actually going to be more like 400 families that we're going to be able to directly impact this year through your generosity and through these partnerships that we're honored to, to be a part of. So we're really, really excited about that. And hope that you're praying about what that might look like for, for you. I know for, for our family, we've already decided and we've prayed about that. We've decided what, our, uh, what we're going to be doing. But we just appreciate you guys um, in, in that. And don't forget now, this, this Friday is our, our combined service with uh, Celebrate Recovery. So we're having the big Thanksgiving meal. is this Friday at 530. It's a great time. 
and uh, we're going to have a special service in here. It's a, it'll be a different service from Sunday. So if you want to come Friday, you can also come Sunday. Uh, but I know some people, you know, are going to be out of town or whatever. So Friday is going to be a great worship opportunity. I wouldn't want you to miss that either. And, uh, and, and as we mentioned in the video, November 26th, that's in two weeks, just just jot yourself a note, put it on your calendar, whatever, so you don't forget. We're asking you to bring a special ornament that represents your family. So maybe even if you just swing by the mall and get one of those, you know, where it's got like the four snowmen and it says, you know, the Browns, whatever. If you want to get something like that or you've got something at home that you want to bring, we're going to have a special service uh, and, and it'll make sense when, you, when you're here for that. But uh, try to remember, if you can, to bring a family ornament in two weeks. And we're really looking forward to celebrating the Christmas season together as a church family. Now, the last few weeks, we've, uh, we've looked at some of the lies that we tell ourselves when it, comes to, when it comes to money and stuff. And I don't know, if you, if you spend time, and I hope that you do, I hope you spend time in God's Word on your own, you know, outside of church, that you, you are able to find that time. And as you read... Especially if you're, when you're reading some of the teaching that Jesus gives us. He just has a way of exposing stuff in our hearts. I mean, it's just, it's just kind of like, hmm, he, he had to say that, didn't he? And it just, it just, it just kind of pulls back the curtain a little bit. And, and one of the things that Jesus talks about, he says, it, this is impossible for you. It's, it's something that can't happen. You cannot have two masters in your life you can't serve god and serve your stuff because something's going to win out there one thing is going to take that 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 first place in your life and last week we look at jesus teaching in luke 12 when he says look out beware i mean it's kind of like almost like if you're walking on the sidewalk and there's a hole and and i said whoa what, look watch out there i don't want you to fall tripping into that and fall down and hurt yourself that's kind of the language that he's using he says, look out, be on your guard, watch out for this, look out for every kind of greed, because life is not measured by what you own. And yet everything in our world tells us the opposite of that. Everything in our life says, no, 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 it is. Your life is measured by what you own. Like, what, what can you wrap your hands around? What do you have at home? What's in your garage? What's in your wallet? You know, I mean, everything tells us that, yes, my life is, the, is, it, it is all about the stuff and what I have. And, and we're kind of obsessed with that, with living our best life. And, and you only live once, so take the trip and buy the car and put it on your credit card. Life is so short, enjoy it. You know, those are the things that we say to excuse our greediness. We, we've got those little catchphrases. I, I love this. Maybe you've seen this. You know, some of us have these things in our house, uh, little, little signs, little sayings, little pithy things that just kind of just make it okay. And here's one. It says, you know, life is short. Life is short. Lick the bowl. Like, oh, you know, it's just so good. But you know, one, one thing I've noticed about that is uh, context is everything when it comes to, when it comes to that saying. Um, I don't know. It's got another picture. <laughs> Context is king. 
But uh, anyway, life is short. Lick the bowl. Well, we, we're so focused. We can take that picture off. I don't want to distract you all anymore. <laughs> life is, is short. But we're, we're so focused on doing what we want, keeping up with the people around us. I heard about a website this week. This is a real thing. You can look this up if you want to when you go home. Uh, there's a website that you send them a family photograph and $49.99, and they will Photoshop you into a real, uh, well, not a real, a fake vacation picture. So if you want a picture of yourself in Paris, or you want to be in front of the pyramids, or you want to be on some beach somewhere, or whatever, they'll do it for you on their website. This is what it says. It says, fake a vacation with pictures. Make your friends envious of where you are and have them thinking of being where you are. Which, where are you? You're, you're nowhere, but you paid 50 bucks for you know, them to Photoshop. But you say, make, you know, make your friends jealous of my fake pictures. That's crazy. That is nuts, but that's the kind of stuff that drives us. I want to be able to keep up. We do all this, hopefully you don't do that, but we're obsessed with trying to get more and more for ourselves. The Apostle Paul warned his apprentice, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6, he says, people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and have pierced themselves with many sorrows. So as your pastor, I want to help you avoid being pierced by many sorrows. I would like for you to not live a life that way, that is just, you know, where you're slamming your, your head into the wall. Why, why am I never satisfied? Why does everything always seem like it's all mixed up? Why do I feel like I'm pierced, you know, with many sorrows? And here's what I really want you to know, that anything that you pursue outside of Christ is what we call an idol. Anything that you, you're chasing, anything outside of Jesus, it's like a... It's like a carrot on a stick, and you're, you're never going to get what you really want because what you're looking for is, is peace, and you're chasing acceptance, and you, know, you want to feel complete and, and all those things. But you're always, anything outside of Jesus is always going to leave you unsatisfied and empty. And today we're going to look at this interaction that Jesus has with a, with, a, with a guy who is really struggling with this problem, and, and I think... I feel like we're going to find that we have a lot more in common with this guy than we may want to admit. We don't know what his name was. He's just introduced to us as a rich young ruler. So we'll look at his story together in Luke 18, starting in verse 18. It says, one day, once there was a religious leader who asked Jesus this question. He said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The next verse, Jesus says, well, why is it that you call me good? Don't you know this, that only God is truly good? Now, that's kind of a rebuke that he, that he gives there. And I've always wondered, like, wonder why Jesus responded like that. And the reason that he did is because the posture of this guy from the very beginning, he doesn't refer to Jesus as Lord. He doesn't come to him and, and, and with that kind of respect or acknowledging him as the Son of God. He comes to him and says, hey, good teacher. So immediately, he's, he's kind of put a little bit of a distance there, and Jesus is responding back, why do you call me good? You know that only God is good. Are you saying that I'm God? What's, what's your motivation here? In the next verse, he says, he says, to answer your question, 
you know the commandments. You, you must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must honor your father and mother. And then this guy says, I'm in good shape then. I have obeyed all these commandments since I was young. I've covered them all. So what do we know from the, about this guy from the beginning? This, this guy, he, he's done well for himself. Whether he was just a really talented and hard worker, maybe, maybe that's the case. Maybe he just got lucky, right place, right time, and you know, really super talented. Uh, or maybe he just inherited a bunch of money from his father and got a sweet gig because of who his dad was. We don't really know, but my money's on that. Uh, my, I, I believe personally that this was a pretty privileged kid who just had success fall into his lap. I mean, we know that he's young. And we know that he's a ruler, so he's got some kind of authority. For him to be in that kind of position, to have money and power and all that at a young age, probably he knew somebody. You know, he probably his his dad probably just brought him right into the into the you know where he needed to be. But either way, you notice from the very first words he says to Jesus, he doesn't ask him what needs to happen for me to receive eternal life. What he says is, what must I do? What do I need to do? Lay it on me. So the question basically is, how can I save myself? How can I, what, what, you want me to write a big check? Uh, you want me to like, you know, take some trip, like a pilgrimage? Uh, do I need to go somewhere? Do I need to do some kind of religious work? What do I need to do in addition to all of these other fabulous achievements that I've already done. I've kept all these, you know, all these rules and traditions. You know, in, in, in addition to all the accomplishments of my life, what more can I add to my resume in order to be able to say, he sa I saved myself? And people would say that about me. Oh, look at this. Look at this guy. He deserved it. He earned his salvation. He starts with arrogance, not with humility. And he starts not by coming to Jesus empty-handed to receive this uh, gift of salvation. He, he comes with his hands full of, here's what I've done. I've been a good guy. I mean, look at, look at these achievements. Look at these accomplishments. What more can I do to show you how fantastic I am? And so Jesus says, okay, well, all right. He says, I'll play ball with you. You know the commandments, right? There's hundreds of them. Like 613. You know them, right? And, and you know the Ten Commandments, the Big Ten. You know, honor your father and mother and don't lie, don't steal, you know, don't do these things. He says, oh yeah, well thankfully I've, I've kept all those since I was a little boy. What he's saying is, I, I'm not perfect, but I, I've come pretty close. I'm almost there. I'm not sinless, but some might think that I am sinless. That's how close I've come to that. And so Jesus then looks right into the heart of this guy. I mean, you talk about how Jesus has a way of exposing things. He gets right to the heart of the next verse. In verse 22, it says that when Jesus heard his answer, he said, well, there's still one thing that you haven't done. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. And then you're going to have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. Jesus realizes this guy's got an idol in his life. There's something that's in the way. What is an idol? What, what is it? I say it's anything that we're chasing. If it's not Jesus, but idolatry really is a good way of understanding. It's, the, it's worshiping the wrong God. 
is not a very good, anything outside of Jesus is not, a, is not a good God. And we all have a need for a God in our lives. Even people who would claim that they're atheists, oh, I don't believe in God, I don't need God, I've got no room for him. We, have, we, are, we are born with an innate desire. We have a void in our life where we need a God. Have to have one, but we just follow different ones. Different people are chasing different things. And it's human beings. We, we, we all have that in common, but we look for it in different places. Money is kind of the low-hanging fruit there. Uh, when you follow the money, you usually find what a person worships. And that's, that's just easy. Jesus said that in Matthew 6, verse 21. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If I want to find out what you're worshiping, I just look at your checkbook. And it's easy. It's right there. Uh, Tim Keller, he's a Christian author and pastor. I really like some of his writings. But he makes this distinction between surface idols and deeper idols. And, and here's what he, what he means by that. He says, you know, we, we'll look at a person and we will say, you know, let's say you look at somebody that has a big fat bank account. They got lots of money, but they never spend a dime of it. You know, I think probably all of us have known somebody like that. And they wear ratty clothes and they drive like busted up cars and they never fix anything on their house. And it's just like they, they, they will never part with a dime. And then when they die, you know, all their money goes to somebody else. And you say, my gosh, why didn't, they, why didn't they spend anything? What was the problem? And so you might look at them and say, oh, well, their idol was money. They just wanted money. And Tim Keller would say, yeah, that's on the surface. But the deep idol there is security. That person thinks, I, I want to be able to cover anything that might come up. Either I have a doctor that I have to go to, and I, I want to be able to pay that bill. I want to be able to take care of what I need to take care of. And, and the reality is they could take care of that multiple times over, but in their mind, they're just craving, they're worshiping, they're chasing that security, and so it's, it's worked itself out in this really unhealthy way in their life. You look at somebody else that just spends everything that they have and then some. I mean, they got credit card debt that's crazy. I think I just heard the other day, the average American credit card debt is somewhere somewhere $7,000, $8,000, which I'm surprised it wasn't more than that, but that's the average, meaning some people have a lot more. But the, most of that, I did not realize this. I don't know if you'll think this is interesting or not. I did. But the majority of the credit card debt in this country is held by young single women. I thought that was interesting. I'm like, well, I mean, okay, I, I, I can see I know they like to shop. And it's like, yeah. And, and so some psychologists were saying, yeah, a lot of that, if you, if you get into the science of it, is these women are going out and shopping because they want to buy clothes and they want to buy things because their whole thing, they want to attract a mate. And so they're hoping that they find somebody that will pay off this credit card debt, I guess. I don't know what, what the, you know, this gets to whatever it is. But it's, it's true. It's, it's just a strange thing. But you look at somebody like that and you say, oh, well, they're just, they're just consumed by stuff. Their idol is, is uh, they have to have a new car. They have to have this, they have to that. No, no, no. The deeper idol there is comfort. I don't want to say no to myself. I don't want to deny myself of anything ever. And so that, that's the deeper issue there. We're just be surrounded by things. And it's a God. It's a not, not a very good one. And for this rich young ruler, Jesus has just exposed his idol. He says, go sell your stuff. Get rid of it. That stuff's weighing you down. 
I want you to follow me, but you can't follow me with all that responsibility and obligations. Let's get rid of the things that are distracting you so that you aren't weighed down anymore, and then you can come and, and you can follow me. And then it says in verse 23, the next verse, it says, When the man heard this, he became very sad because he was very rich. I love how the message translation words it. It says that this was the last thing he expected to hear. He was very rich and became terribly sad. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let them go. Jesus found his idol. It's right there. He just, he just if he's the doctor that's poking, he says, does this hurt? Does this hurt? Does that hurt? Yeah, there we found the problem. Right there. What would you, let me, let's get personal now. It's easy to pick on this guy. What would you be unwilling to give up to follow Jesus? What would you cling to as you walked away from him terribly sad because ultimately your idol had just been exposed? And I'm going to tell you this, friends. We oftentimes don't know what our idol is until we face the prospect of losing it. And then all of a sudden, we will go to desperate measures to hang on. Some of you say, I don't have an idol. Ah, no, I, I don't. I'm, I'm much more, I'm a much better Christian than that. Oh, hold your horses. Hold on there. I wouldn't be so sure. It's very, very, very possible that you do. But because your idol is so safe and so secure, you're unaware that it's an idol. Because it's not an issue for you, right? It's right there. But it's the moment that you face the prospect of losing it, that's when everything changes. The big idea here is that whatever it is, whatever is in the way between you and Jesus, it needs to move. So does God want us to sell all of our stuff and give it all away so that we can go live in a commune? No, that's not the, that's not the teaching here. This isn't what, what he's getting at. Well, maybe for somebody he might be calling us to, to, to take some drastic action. He's saying, I want you to go move somewhere start some ministry go be a missionary whatever that might be maybe, maybe that is for an end of, for for some person but in this and certainly in this guy's life jesus wanted to see a drastic thing happen but for you maybe it means that you've been worshiping your job and you work way too many hours and you neglect your family and everyone feels it, but you keep defending that idol and saying, "But I'm so, no, no, no. I'm just a hard worker. I'm a hard worker, and that's my badge of honor." No, it's a problem. It's a problem, and it needs to change. For another person, it may be it's it's having an unhealthy relationship with food. Maybe overeating, or or you know, we're we're trying to deal with the issues that we keep burying, and so we're. Uh, you know, it's, it's, again, it's kind of that comfort thing. I'm not going to say no to myself. I'm not going to deny myself. And yeah, I've got, you know, these health issues, but I'm going to continue to do this. Or maybe it's under eating. You know, we're worshiping an appearance that we think we have to have. Whatever, you know, there's, there's two different sides of the coin there. But both, I think Jesus would look us in the eye and say, this needs to change. For somebody, it might be entertainment. You know, another person, it might be relationships. You just have to have somebody. I, I see a lot of people that, that feel that way. I have to have somebody. And the truth is, you've done a lot of sacrificing for that. You've lowered your standards. Maybe you don't even know who you are anymore. You don't, you don't know what to believe anymore because you've got this idol of, of needing acceptance and attention and connection. 
What is it that's keeping you from following Jesus faithfully and consistently? If he says, hey, I want you to follow me here, what would it be that you say, oh, I can't right now because of this? It needs to go. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there is your heart. So when it comes to our money and our stuff, because that's where most of our emotional connection is, what does the Bible say? Sometimes people want to know, what does the Bible say about how I live and how I use money? Because that's the, that's the, the culture shock for a lot of people, I think, when they, when they become a Christian. And we realize that a lot of the things that we, we think we know, is, it's, it's just an illusion. Everything that we have, it just passes through our hands. Everything belongs to God. The Bible says the earth and the fullness thereof, it's his. So, you know, we are alive for 70, 80 years, and, and things pass through our hands, but it's not, it's not, it doesn't belong to us. But, so how do, but how do we live with it? What do we do? Well, first of all, the Bible says that we are to earn it honestly. He says, I want, it says, I want you to earn a living. We, should, we shouldn't be crooks or thieves or get money from some illegal or immoral way. Ephesians 4.28 says, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work and do something useful with their own hands so that they may have something to share with those in need. And then God's word says that we are to tithe it faithfully. That means that we are to give back to the Lord a portion of our income. Proverbs 3, 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all, that, of all your produce. That's, in the Old Testament, it was, it was 10%. They were to give the first 10% off their income. And in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 8 uh, says that uh, we should be cheerful givers, regular, sacrificial. It's first fruits. It means that it should come first, not from what's left. That's where a lot of us, I think, get it wrong. We pay all of our bills and everything else, and we say, well, if i got anything left, I'll give God some of that. That's not what God asks for. So I want you to honor me first. I want you to trust me first. So you give to the Lord, you, you give back to the Lord and, and, the, and, and the cause of the gospel. And the Bible says that we spend it wisely. I've had people say that, well, I feel sort of guilty because I make money, and then is it wrong for me to go out and spend money you know what what does god say about that no it's spend it wisely you, you, you've got bills you've got things romans 13 7 says give everyone what you owe them well how would you owe somebody something if you didn't you know buy something you know if you owe them any kind of tax then pay it show respect to those who who uh, you should respect and show honor to those you should honor so pay for your pay, place to live you know pay your bills your food you know that's all right it's okay if you want to buy a something to enjoy some something for entertainment that's great don't feel guilty about that and the bible says that we are to save some regularly proverbs 21 verse 20 says a wise man saves for the future but a foolish man spends whatever he gets because you know what some days there's going to be a tough moment there's going to be a car that gets a flat tire or there's going to be a you know you're going to need to take a day off work because you got a kid homesick and now you're you know you're going to miss out on a day's pay or you, you get sick and you got to go to the hospital or whatever things happen so scripture says save some be a person who saves and the bible also says to invest it carefully to think long term because proverbs 13 22 says that a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children that's his grandkids. 
The Bible calls you wise. That's, that's, you're walking in the ways of the Lord if you have invested and you've, you're leaving something not only for your kids but for your grandchildren as well. You're leaving a legacy there. So that means how can I invest my money so that it outlasts me? So that there's something to bless my family with, right? That's a good thing. That's something that God says you ought to do. And then the Bible also says that we are to give generously. Proverbs 19, verse 17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and God will repay him for his deed. That's different from tithing. Now, I want you to have a holistic view of this. This is, this is what the Bible says. When we say, well, what does the Bible say about money? This is what it says. It's kind of an exhaustive list. Giving generously, giving to those in need is different from tithing. Tithing goes back to the Lord. That's where he says, I want you to return a portion of your income to me because you're trusting me. And you're showing me that I'm first place. And this is how this works. You are going to return it to me and I'm going to take care of you. That's the way that he calls us to live. And then he says, in addition to that, I want you to share with people who have a genuine need. Uh, That's like Jesus' request of this man here, the rich young ruler. Sell everything, give it to the poor. This person needs help. You know, that person's sick. This single mom's having a hard time making ends meet, being generous to those in need. And the Bible, it also tells us what not to do with our money. It says, don't love money. Don't put your hope in money and avoid debt. Because the borrower is a slave to the lender. Debt is self-imposed slavery. And God says, I do not want my people. If you're going to follow me, you're going to be marked by my name. I do not want my people to owe anything to anyone. And that's the issue with this rich young ruler. He's a slave. He doesn't own his stuff. His stuff owns him. And, and when it comes down to whether he would rather have his stuff or whether he would rather have his Savior, he chooses his stuff. And that's the problem. Now, I want to look at one last thing before we wrap up, and this is the personality of Jesus. You look at the next couple of verses. In verse 24 and 25, it says that Jesus, he saw this. He saw the guy walking away sad, and he said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? And then he says this interesting thing he says in fact i would say that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it would be for a rich person to enter the kingdom of god and one of the hard parts about reading the bible and understanding it is what we miss we miss the body language i some i I wish there were video cameras back then that we could have just recorded jesus saying this and and say what what was his body language like? What, what was his posture? How did he say that? Do you think he was angry? Or was he, did, he, did he watch that guy walk away and just kind of roll his eyes and say, ha, you know, look at this. How hard is it for somebody to enter the kingdom of God? It would be easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle. You know? did he, was he disappointed? Did he, did he, you know, did, he, did he kind of slump over a little bit? What did he do? I, I, I think when I read this passage... You know, I, I feel like this was Jesus almost like a, with the tone of an inspiring coach. I think he's trying to get everybody to just lift their eyes a little bit. Say, listen, guys, understand, this is not easy. It is difficult. 
for, for a person to enter the kingdom of heaven. This is not like, you know, just la-di-da, you know, rainbows and unicorn stuff. This is a difficult, this is a hard teaching. And I know what I just said to that guy was hard, but he's also, he's seeing things that we don't see. When he looks at that rich young guy and he says, you know what, you, you, yeah, you look very put together. You got broad shoulders, handsome, you're, you're, well, you're, you're well put together and you got a lot of nice stuff. But I see something in you. I see this weak spot, and you may not be, even be aware of it, but I also see potential that's inside you, and you're not going to get to that potential unless you trust me right now. So do you trust me? Will you put in the hard work? Will you walk where I'm calling you to walk? Because we've got to strip these distractions away to get you totally focused. We can get you there, but you're going to have to have big trust. And the guy walks away, and then he, Jesus says, ah, Easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle, I guess. And for me, I almost imagine he, Jesus kind of took a deep breath as he watched him walk away. Just, this is hard stuff. This is hard stuff. And then they, they asked the question that I think should be on all of our minds. Verse 26, it says, well then, when they heard that, then who in the world can be saved? You know, I mean, we've all got some stuff, Jesus. Who, who could be saved if it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle? What do we do? If that guy can't make it, what do we do? He seemed like a great kid. He got all the gold stars in Sunday school. I mean, he, he knows, he knows the, the rules, and he's, done, he's got money and power, and he's, got, he, he's the guy that every guy wants to be, and every girl wants to bring him home and meet mom. You know, if he can't make it, then what are us normal people going to do? And Jesus said, well... What's impossible with people is possible with God. You see the shift that happens there. This is something that happens in us. When we move from trusting in what we think we know into trusting what we think we can do, when we, when we lean away from that and we, and we rely on what God can do for us and in us and through us, that's trust. I mean, that's big faith. But that's why idols are so dangerous because it's trusting in something that's going to disappoint you it's relying on something that will fail you whether you make your god your money or your car or your job or food or sex or vacations or your gpa or your politician or whatever at some point those things will fail you and jesus says you've got no chance to make it to heaven on your own but with god everything's possible and then peter's standing there he's he's always just got to make sure he gets this on record Peter, he chimes in, he says, we've left our homes to follow you, Jesus. <laughs> Just got to make sure we get it in there. You see the humor there? Again, you read it and it can fall flat, but I, I'm like, this is sort of funny. It might be a little brown nose and he's got to pipe up. Hey, I know you, you saw that guy walk away, but we, we left everything, remember? Don't forget. And then Jesus looks right at him and he says, yes, yes. And I assure you that everyone who has given up house or wife or brothers or parents or children... For the sake of the kingdom of God, they will be repaid many times over in this life and will have eternal life in the world to come. You know, trust is one of the hardest things for us to do. For many of us, it's because someone has broken your trust. And so it's so hard to trust again. Even if it's God, you say, well, I can't see him. I can't always feel him. I don't know if, you know, maybe I wish I could trust, but my experience has taught me that the only person I can really rely on is myself. And Jesus blows that up. It kind of makes you feel worn out, I think. I mean, it can be, it can be exhausting because you think, 
I want to do the right thing. I want to do what Jesus wants me to do. But I am so anxious that this is going to end up in a disaster for me. Do you feel that ever? I feel that all the time. I want to go where you want me to go, but I want to make sure that this, is this, is this really what you want me to do, God? Are you really saying this? Well, God has invited us to put our trust in him, and he does that first by inviting us to, to surrender to him and accept him, you know, accept Jesus as our Savior. And as we grow, we'll continue to, to learn what it looks like to trust every day, you know. And, uh, and, and one of the ways that he does that, that he asks us to trust him, is through tithing. And so we mentioned that. And that's a hard concept. And I know we have a lot of people around here that are new Christians. And so this is, feels really, really foreign. But it's a, heart, it's a heart check. It's where Jesus, and where God's word says to us, I want you to trust me. I want you to give back. And when you do, I'll take care of your needs. And it's a faith uh, lifter. I mean, it's, a, it's inspiring when you watch as God provides in ways that you didn't think he could. So one of the things that I like to do every so often is I like to invite people into that because I know it's really challenging, the idea of, you know, okay, budgets are already tight and, man, everything's more expensive. And I don't, I don't think I can tithe. I don't think I can give like that. Uh, so this is a way that we do it to make it easy or tr- to try to make it approachable for people. In the back of the seats are these little cards. We call this the 90-day tithe challenge. And I'd love, if, if, you don't, if you don't tithe, I'd love for you to reach out and grab that card and just take this home with you. And read it over. And just pray about it and consider it. Because this is one of the things that we do. If you've, if you've never tithed, if you've never tried it, and because it feels scary, this is our, our promise to you. That if, if you sign this card, you know, drop it in an offering box or whatever, uh, if you will begin to tithe for, for the first time, and you'll try it for 90 days, at the end of 90 days, if you say, man, that really didn't work out. That was, you know, I thought it was going to be good, but it, it was a disaster. There's an email address on the back of this card that you can, that you can send an uh, a email to and just say, hey, that didn't work for me. And we will write a check and refund you everything that you gave in that 90-day period. No questions asked. Nobody's going to call you. Nobody's going to try to talk you out of it. Nobody's going to sell anything, you know, whatever. That we'll, no, you just send one quick email, boom, we'll send you a check. We'll give you everything back. Because we've, we believe that God honors his word. There's a lot of things in our life where we, we ask, like, I don't know, is this what God wants me to do? Or does he want me to do this? Or does he want me to do that? This is, there's no gray area here. It's clear. God says, I want you to return back to me a portion of your income. So we, we invite you to take God at his word. And we will take God at his word with you. So if that's something that you'd be interested in, take that card, read it over, pray about it. If you've got questions, be happy to answer those. But uh, just something to consider and keep in your mind as you just, my desire for us is that we all grow together and see as the Lord provides for us. It's It's a journey. Walking with Christ is a journey. But let's go there together. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for being faithful to us. There's a lot of things in your word that uh, are confusing. There's things that we're we're trying to sort out in our minds. But there are some things that are just so clear, but we, we like to try to avoid them because they're uncomfortable. 
Well, this is one of those. But I know, Lord, that we all have something. There's all something in our life that's just, it, it has a tendency to get in the way. I pray that you would help us to see that today. Help us to be aware of it so that we can begin to take the steps to release it and follow you more closely. Lord, help us to just increase our faith, increase our, our trust in you and know that you are never going to disappoint, that you're not going to let us fall. Thank you for always, always being faithful to us. Help us to be more and more faithful to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. I'll see you next Sunday.